0: Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. You're listening to the Retail Exchange Podcast with me, Carl McKeever. A very warm welcome to this latest episode. Coming up in this special episode of the interview series, as we look ahead to retail week later this month, I'm joined by Unilever Chief Customer Officer, Beauty, Wellbeing and Digital Commerce, Claire Henner. Unilever is known for making some of the most famous consumer brands in the world. Globally, its products are used by 2 billion people every day. It's also known for leading change, particularly on issues of sustainability. But when it comes to how consumer goods companies go to market, digital is changing everything. Claire leads the digital commerce strategy and execution for Unilever's global business. She joins me to explore the importance of adapting portfolios so they are fit for e-commerce and the secrets to gaining share of category sales on the digital shelf. We also discuss her role as a Retail Week Live 2022 advisory board member and helping to curate the content for this year's event. Also ahead, we'll be talking to Retail Week Live Programme Director Hannah Tovey to find out what this year's event has in store for those thinking of attending and the big themes that will be discussed by those taking to the stage at Retail Week Live 2022. That's all coming up on this episode of the Retail Exchange Podcast. So, Claire, can you tell me what is the scope of your role and responsibilities as Chief Customer Officer for Beauty and Wellbeing and Digital E-Commerce within Unilever?
1: So, um, yeah, I've literally taken on um, a new fantastic role here at Unilever. So I'm responsible for all of the sales channels within our beauty and well-being um, business group. And I also am responsible for digital commerce across all of our business groups at Unilever. Uh, and so there are kind of two core components of my role. On the digital commerce side, I'm overseeing strategy. Uh, where should we focus our energies on? What are the capabilities that we need to build in the organization? And really think about that transformation and integration into the business. And within beauty and well-being, obviously, digital commerce is going to be an incredibly important part of that business, given the shape of our portfolio and hair and skin and vitamins and supplements online is incredibly important. But equally, within my scope and channels that I look after is the health and beauty channel, which is a route to markets such as pharmacy or drug stores or cosmetic stores. But equally, how do we work with big hypers and supermarkets um, as well to sell uh, some of our portfolio? So, yeah, it's relatively new. I've been enrolled for about eight weeks doing the beauty and well-being part. But obviously, I've been at Unilever doing digital commerce for five years. So very exciting times.
0: And prior to what you're doing now, could you just give us a, a, a potted career journey? Did you always want to work in retail, and and certainly now with such an emphasis on tech, how has that figured in your career to date?
1: Yeah, so sure, look. I think uh, when I was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, uh, I came out of university thinking I wanted to get into advertising. And then the internet was starting to explode. Um, and I was approached about an opportunity to join a startup called handbag.com. And back in the day, it actually predated Facebook, but it was an original.com owned by Boots and the Day Telegraph. And best way to describe it was an online women's magazine where you had fashion, beauty, a community of women, talking about everything from cooking to relationships. And I was at that company for nearly six years. And in that time, the portfolio of websites that we created targeting women had expanded. We had a teenage title, an older woman's title, a pregnancy title. And I went from more of a commercial role into marketing as well at the same time. Then I joined Virgin Atlantic um, and worked for a startup um, for them. And the best way to describe that startup was a combination between um, TripAdvisor and with a gamification platform where you could earn rewards um, for content contributions, but also an ability to store all your um, fantastic travel research and help and get help from a travel agent to be able to book that. So it was a little bit ahead of its time. We worked on that on a couple of years, and we kind of integrated that back into the core business. And then I joined Selfridges, and I was there for nearly six years. I headed up the kind of digital marketing side um, uh, there. Um, I also ran a transformation program all around single view of the customer. So there was there nearly six years. And then I joined Unilever, and um, I originally joined to really drive the online business for Beauty and Personal Care forward. After three years of doing that, I then took on the role to work across all the divisions at Unilever. And then, yeah, eight weeks ago, I took on another role.
0: So as a member of the Retail Week Live 2022 Advisory Board, you've been responsible for helping to curate the content for this year's event. Uh, what were the key themes and challenges that you felt were important to address and that you really wanted to bring to you know the conference audience?
1: I was really lucky enough to be involved um, last year as well. So I guess, you know, I was really looking at how global trends might be shaping and influencing what we're seeing. You know, if I if I take the fortunate um, part of my role is I get the opportunity to work with lots and lots of different countries Let's take China, you know, incredibly advanced when it comes to digital commerce. And what you can see really happening in that market is a huge amount of energy now in the live commerce and social commerce space, which really hasn't penetrated yet in the same way it does um, in China, where the ecosystem really allows for quite an exciting um, retail entertainment opportunity. And I think, you know, how we're seeing trends really shift is one I think the other area is around um, people and purpose, um, which I know is a you know a really key thread. I think you know there's been many conversations that so many companies are having. How do you retain digital talent? How do you attract talent? How do you think about this? Now, um, a hybrid way of working? How do you really create an effective way of going back to the office? How do you think about the future of work? You know, you can't just employ people that are just digitally minded. You actually have a fantastic group of individuals that you can upskill train um, and how do you do that within an organization so I think that's that people component and then there's the planet and social and environmental and um, part you know and um, purpose is a big part of Unilever you know and um, we really um, at the center of our heart of a business is how do we make sustainable living commonplace and so you know, we really believe in doing good by planet and people will eventually, you know, lead to good business. Uh, And I think, you know, that sense of purpose is really important to consumers. And so I think there's an array of really incredible businesses that you're going to hear from um, that are going to talk about their journey but also the the kind of negative components of greenwashing how do consumers really feel about things like this how do you really make commitments that you can stand by as a business so I think the kind of future component whether it's metaverse or the trends coming from east and west or the people component or certainly the environmental um, element I think you really feel that heartbeat coming through the agenda and those are some of the things, as well as the other great people that were kind of, you know, talking about the creation of this year's agenda, and um, really talk through. So I think it's really shaping up to be quite an exciting um, uh, couple of days.
0: In digital terms, where does the UK sit in the global space? And clearly, a lot of people are talking about how, you know, China is very much at the forefront of the whole live streaming, digital live channels. Is the UK a leader or a follower in terms of digital commerce?
1: The UK is a really mature online environment. If you think about grocery shopping online, actually, the UK far surpasses many other countries in terms of maturity. Obviously, there's still a huge proportion of the population that do not buy their groceries online. But in terms of the Tesco's and the Sainsbury's of of the world, in terms of actually having an online presence, they've had it for a substantial amount of time. And so I also think I think in the kind of grocery space quite established, I think in the, you know, it depends again on industry. Fashion probably been a little bit slower, particularly like, you know, I worked in luxury fashion and at that time trying to convince luxury brands to retail online was really, really challenging, right? And so I think it really depends on the vertical. But I think as a nation of consumers, we feel quite comfortable to shop online. And when you look across you know, the world, South Korea, China, and the UK are really up there from a digital maturity and the percentage of the population that's shopped online. So I would say overall maturity good, still lots of room for growth, um, though. And I think, you know, um, there is, let's just take the grocery space again. I I think in in the midst of COVID, my parents um, shopped online for their groceries for the first time. My mum hated it. She, she loved just still going back to the supermarket. But you've also got this new bunch of cohorts now that have experienced um, shopping online. And you don't suddenly switch back, right? Um, but you have a more blended shopping experience. The, um, the high street is far from dead as far as I'm concerned there is absolutely a role for both I think it's the harmony of both experiences digitally offline how do you connect experiences how do you make it really seamless for a consumer I think we all talk about that consumer experience being seamless I think we all know if we've worked with retailers with legacy systems or we're working in brands or manufacturers how difficult that actually is to do you know, the UK still got loads of opportunity. I think it's about knowing your vertical, knowing your consumer, understanding that blended shopping experience on and offline. Um, By far, I think it's an exciting opportunity when you see the trends bubbling in the East, like China, like live shopping hasn't really yet hit uh, the UK. But when you look at younger people, um, their use of TikTok as just one social platform. I mean, I was out with some of my nieces only two weeks ago, and seeing them on their phone, video recording everything, just making it part of their social and connection experience. And you know, they're 13 and 15, you know where the future is going to be at.
0: Now, you mentioned earlier that you've been involved with Retail Week Live now for two years. Um, In 2021, you were a judge Uh, What caught your eye then and what are you looking for and hoping to see this time?
1: I think let's firstly start with the people that were pitching. Such um, passion as founders, you know, I think just really warmed up to the experience of being in this incredibly fast paced environment where if you don't get your elevator pitch right... you're you're not able to communicate effectively. So it was one of these um, really fantastic moments to be part of, firstly. So fantastic founders um, and fantastic passion. The areas that really caught my eye um, last year was definitely the payment space. But also um, linked to that was, I guess, the social responsibility that a couple of companies kind of talked about in in the space where the buy now pay later model fast exploding. But actually, um, how do you make sure that you're socially responsible for people on credit? How do you make sure they're not in debt? There was a couple of companies that talked about that. And that were really interesting. There was also um, a fantastic lady. I've forgotten her name now. She actually just talked about a pop up grocery store and frictionless shopping, very much like Amazon Go concepts. Right. And how that kind of pop up mechanic could be your new um, way that you can create experiential um, on and offline experiences. There was also another fantastic startup, which I've seen a lot of since Retail Week, a company called Slip where it was kind of looking at um, how do you take away receipts and how do you create consumer data behavior? And I've seen a lot of that particular founder raising and getting a lot of fantastic PR. So I also think it's this kind of really amazing platform for new businesses to be discovered, to have a voice, to see lots of people, because I think the networking opportunity is brilliant, Um, And just see sheer raw passion. You know, there might be some of them that haven't quite worked out, but actually, you know, from that passion that they'll make something succeed.
0: Yeah. And of course, you know, a a platform like this is just tremendous because ordinarily as a startup, you might take you many months, if at all, to be able to access the type of people that will attend the event.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'd say that's why it's a really great platform. I did um, this kind of speed dating session after with a number of startups. And again, in that kind of literally five, 10 minutes that you're with somebody, it might just spark an idea. It might spark a collaboration. And, you know, ordinarily, it probably would have been someone emailing you, scheduling um, 30 minutes in three weeks time. And that moment of that kind of speed dating session that you're able to meet 20 people, you probably would have said five No, probably no opportunity. Six, maybe, you know, early stage prospects and maybe two might be like, we can absolutely see a way of working together. You know, so I think it's just a really great way to meet people quite quickly in a quite time poor environment that I think everybody's in at the minute.
0: Um, Unilever uses the term, the E, everything consumer. What does that mean to you?
1: Yeah, I would just purely say an always on, a permanently connected um, uh, consumer, right? I think now, um, if you're not permanently connected to your phone, you're one of the lucky people in life, I think. So it really does mean um, a connected consumer experience and as much online and offline uh, is really in that joining up of um, experiences is really, really important, But equally, it's about knowing as much as you might be in store and you might make your purchase in a physical environment, the research that you might have done is probably likely to have had online. You might be scanning something via a QR code on a connected piece of packaging on a product. So let's just take Dove as a brand. You might see actually here. I'd like to be able to understand more about that product it will then go to dove.com it will tell you more around the richness of that product you also might do some price checking or scanning while you're in a physical environment so ultimately it means just being permanently connected and I, I think um the device that's really ultimately changed that more than anything has been the mobile phone. So yeah, that's the way that we we like to think about it.
0: Is this part of what we are? So I suppose all struggling to understand about what is the metaverse. Um, we recently did an episode with Benefit Cosmetics, and I asked them the same question. You know, you know, do you understand the metaverse? How are you using it? You know, and to be honest, you know, there was a certain amount of wear- weary and uh, wariness about providing an answer. Maybe it's because it means something slightly different to everyone or to each organisation. So so I guess from a Unilever perspective, how would you define the metaverse and how is Unilever, you know, kind of almost considering that in terms of the integration of all of your different experiences?
1: It's funny, I think when you've had a lot of people talking about the metaverse, um, obviously there's a lot of people talking about it. In reality, is there a lot of people experiencing it? you know us as consumers are we really or do we really know what hanging out in the metaverse really is right and i think the way that we've looked about it internally um at unilever and connie our um, chief digital and uh, commercial officer um talked um only a couple of weeks ago externally on this as well is that we've got a duty of care um in terms of being responsible for people and they go hanging out in uh, the metaverse do we have responsible uh, advertising um codes of practice do we understand enough about the environment that uh, you know, particularly for young people. I mean, my son plays Roblox, and are we really aware of the safety that we're talking about in a in a virtual environment? And, and do we care for it because we don't know too much about it? Right. So I think the safety, the ethics. That you need um in in virtual worlds is going to be incredibly important and pertinent and um, and certainly going back to being purposeful and thinking about consumers that's really important to us as a business so that's kind of the first point point and i think on the second point is I don't think any brand um, can tell you that they know the right way and how this is going to all play out right now. I think there's a, an experimentation that's naturally happening. Um, we've had a number of our brands, Axe, Decreed, you know, doing a virtual marathon at the moment, which then leads into so Decreed in the UK is sure. Um, more globally is known as decreed Um, and um, so there's ways that you know we're certainly using it to experiment and seeing how does that capture the imagination of consumers it's also going to be likely early adopters right I think with any kind of new area that you might be talking about when it comes to digital you usually get um, a big proportion of um, the consumers that are likely to test and trial and be really early adopters so I think for mainstream going back to the um, conversation that we're having about my mum and dad shopping online and their grocery shopping I, I think they'd be like meta what you know so it's going to be this kind of real parallels of cohorts as well that we're talking about um, and then of clearly you've got these amazing success stories be it in fashion, music, art where actually it's really coming alive and it's such a hot market to be part of. I think for FMCG, and it goes back to the kind of classic category or vertical that you're in about how do you develop the opportunities in Web3, Metaverse, you know, whatever way that, you know, people are coining it at the, at the minute. Lots of definitions. I don't think the general consumer understands it too much at the minute. Is it going to be an area where most brands are going to have to figure out? Yes. Is experimentation a great way to understand it? Yes. Do we need to do it in a safe and ethical way? Absolutely.
0: You mentioned that when it comes to engaging the new cohorts of shoppers, um, especially people that came to online shopping for the first time during the pandemic. Uh, I'm not necessarily here just thinking about your parents, but all the other people that couldn't go to the shops. What are the key priorities, do you think, for getting this right? How do you engage each of these new groups?
1: The way that, you know, we certainly think about online shopping at Unilever and We think about it designing for channel and knowing the channel, you know. Um, So if I think about some of our products, what you might find on shelf in a physical store versus to what you buy on Amazon or you might buy on um, Tmall might be quite different. You know, the pack might be quite different. It might be a refillable. It might be, um, you know, somewhat different than what you have picked up in a physical store. So you need to think about the dynamics, you know. Let's just take laundry. It's a heavy, bulky product, right? Actually, by nature of the beast, buying it online is a lot more convenient than me putting it in my shopping bag and walking down the high street. So I think you know, understanding what I would call just basic pack pricing architecture and understanding by channel is really, really important. So understanding products, being a manufacturer, understanding the dynamics, packaging. And why it's right to design it slightly differently for online versus a physical store is quite important. So that'd be one. Uh, and getting those dynamics right, really important. You know, value density, profitability, because it's hard to make money in this space. That's why so many grocers struggle, right? You need a basket to be a certain size before you can break even and certainly make a profit. So understanding that um, dynamics of products important. I think the second area is kind of that demand creation layer. How do you make sure that you create really fantastic content experiences um, on a retailer, off a retailer? How do you make them connected? So the consumer doesn't suddenly see something beautiful, magnum advertising on TV and then goes to buy the product and it's a really disconnected shopping experience. How do you connect those pieces of content on and offline? Um, is also important, but also equally as retailer media now becomes such a big proportion now of advertising spend, uh, Amazon, Walmart, Alibaba, Lazada, Shopee are all around the world now creating very big advertising systems. And it's the way that people find your product, right? So you have to pay to play. So understanding that demand creation is um, really important. So content, media, optimization, but also the sophistication really varies by retailer as well i think you know amazon arguably one of the most advanced in the world when it comes to to that side and then the other component that i would say around that design for channel mix is execution capability how do you make sure the basic 101 your your products in stock and it remains in stock supply supply chain and, and of course you know everything's constrained in today's world with everything that's going on so you know that's that's a challenge for most uh, manufacturers right now but equally how do you make sure that you've got Um, the people, the organizational setup, right? How do you make sure that you are integrating into the business, particularly if you're um, in a big business like mine, you can't necessarily sit in the periphery because otherwise your systems and processes don't work. So there's so many different things, um, I think, that kind of mix up that. But certainly from a consumer side, how you get it right, how you attract the consumers, you just have to go back to the basic. Does the product work, and does it? Um, can it get there in a in a safe way? You know, like the Amazon truck driver chucking it over your garden fence. Can it withstand the route to market? Is it going to break? Basic product 101. Making sure that you can captivate the wallet of consumers by making sure that your content's optimised, that you're found in search. I mean, it's not rocket science, but it's making sure that you're visible at the moment that that person wants to physically buy um, a product and yeah that's why i kind of touched on the retail media side as well
0: you mentioned in that last question that it's notoriously challenging for uh, grocers to make uh e-commerce profitable you need a certain basket size and consistently over time to ultimately uh turn those shoppers into you know you know Really valuable um, members of your community, but I believe you've also um, been quoted as saying that people who shop both online or in multiple channels are ultimately more valuable than just pure play brick and mortar shoppers. Why do you believe that to be true?
1: We've we've done a number of studies um, with retailers where we can track online and offline behaviour, and um, we also know it from our own you know direct to consumer. Um, parts of our business with our mainly our prestige brands where we can see the common connection between salon visits or store visits and um, versus shopping online so we definitely know a, a connected consumer that shops in multiple places is arguably um, spending more okay and even if you look at most research from Cantor or Nielsen or you know, whatever research body it will show. And I, I think most retailers today will say from their own data, certainly know it from Selfridges, the consumer that shops on both online and offline is a lot more valuable too. So it's in the data, to be honest with you, Carl, I think it's, um, the question is whether you can make it easy to capture the data and understand and identify them, because there's nothing worse a consumer being like, I shop with you online, I shop with you offline. I don't think about them being online and offline. They're just your brand and they're how I consume. And, you know, connecting those journey is the magic that unfortunately is quite hard.
0: (laughs) And I guess this is where so many uh, hours are spent trying to master this thing of frictionless and, you know, join together all of the channels and seamless communications and have one voice with the consumer so that, you know, ultimately, you know, the principle of the metaverse or always on or everything every time that's essentially what the goal is
1: yeah and i you know i, I think it's what we're all striving for you know that you create the frictionless experience and i and i think um, most most brands most retailers businesses are looking to achieve that and i think you know that's why you see some incredible startups trying to remove those pain points i mean when i was working for virgin atlantic a classic pain point that most consumers have um, is going through security at an airport. Unfortunately, there isn't too much that we can really do about that. Um, but that's why Virgin Atlantic created their upper class quick security check-in, because it took away something that made consumers absolutely, you can just track stress in a, in a travel journey and that part is really, really stressful for most people. And I'm sure you recognize it yourself. So it has to go back to what are the pain points and how you as a brand, retailer, manufacturer can ease those pain points to create those frictionless moments. You know, ultimately, we are shoppers ourselves. We know the pain points that we have. And that's why you see these most fantastic entrepreneurs cropping up because it often comes from a pain point. And then we all think, why don't we think of that? Right. So I think it's like, how do you also then ease out those pain points and make it ultimately easier for people to shop in a frictionless way?
0: And I guess with that in mind, you know, brands are having to adapt their existing strategies and also to create new portfolios. So they're fit for e-commerce today and, and things which are aligned to changing consumer demand. What do you think are some of the key ingredients to getting that Right.
1: Yeah, I mean, I touched on it earlier. I think, you know, um, the pack price architecture, which sounds probably, again, quite simple, but I, I ultimately think it's it is just an important dynamics. you know. So you might shopping online. Again, let's go back to the laundry example. You might have a bigger pack. You might have a bulkier pack because it can be shipped to somebody rather than a smaller pack. Or you can think about regime. You could think about um, hair and shampoo being together. You know, how do you create an experience that people are ultimately um, searching for? You know, uh, we see it particularly in um, consumer behavior. A lot of people are turning to online because they think of the end of shelf to find their acute niche need being served for in a way that you wouldn't find on a physical shelf. Right. The other thing is, is that you you also need to think about. Going back to pain points and the profitable model that most people are looking for in this space is some of the things that we're trying um, at the moment is do we look at concentration to take down weight and cost in last mile delivery? Do we think about creating a refillable system and working with partners like The Loop to be able to create an ecosystem that will um, create refillables and make it easier to create a sustainable shopping journey as most people become very conscious now on you know on that side of their shopping patterns and again this is still early adopters you know this isn't everybody that's thinking like that but soon what becomes quite an early adopter will become ultimately a consumer behavior but it might be five ten years of market development like concentration i'm happy to do that at home i'm happy to mix my own product but it's probably because i work this side of the table right I'm not sure how many people feel that comfortable doing those things. But of course, from an environmental perspective, it makes absolute sense. So I think, you know, again, it just goes back to knowing your consumer, first and foremost, knowing the channel, knowing how people shop, pricing, pack, again, basic 101. Um, and I, I don't, you know, I don't think every business has got that quite right um, yet. I think we still think there's a huge journey because you're also talking about a lot of fragmentation as well what i might buy on um a social channel might be completely different to what i add to my tesco order right so um i think you are also talking about a complex shopping environment and therefore to be able to create product for each of those consumer moments is also quite challenging
0: you've previously spoken about how Unilever had to sharpen its channel choices during the pandemic new approaches have stuck um and also what has the business had to change again now that consumers have begun to reintroduce physical retail back into their own channel mix
1: i think the things have stuck is we've we i mean we're still growing bigger percentage of the business um we're still seeing um again what i said huge opportunity there's there's still a lot of the world that has never bought a product online. You know, we talked earlier about how um, mature the UK environment is. That is not every country in the world, right? So I think there's still a huge opportunity in online in untapped countries. Um, uh, so I think again, lots of opportunity uh, for growth. I, yeah, I guess the the things seeing that channel switch um, happen so dynamic and so swiftly. Just meant that we also had to relook at our processes and ways of working, where we prioritising for online or where we really thinking about offline. So that's also been how we look at our demand um, forecasting, supply chain, where we fit to be able to serve when we needed to. So I think those components have just made us look also around. Have we invested in all the right capabilities? Again, most organizations would be looking at this. So that kind of piece of uh, it's still very, very important for us to be able to have Really fantastic foundations to be able to build, you know, the magic from there because, you know, um, you can only really serve the metaverse if you're able to have really stable foundations, right? Those things have kind of stuck in the organization that there are in certain capabilities that we'll need to invest in. There'll be an upskilling that needs to happen in in the company. We launched a learning accelerator last year. Nearly 25,000 um, of our employees all across the world have gone through um, that training to understand digital commerce. How does it impact my job? What do I need to do differently? So I think there's that kind of training and upskilling in the organisation. I think the things that, although um, I guess this is part of the beauty of being um, in such a um, uh, big company that Unilever um, is as well, we had the beauty of seeing how shopping patterns might change country to country. So we were able to then see how those patterns um, were changing. So as naturally retailers started to reopen, we have seen a shift and um, migrate back to store, which is wonderful, but because, as I said, you know the high street is far from dead. um absolutely not. But I think you're just seeing this blended um experience, and understanding that consumers, might want something more conveniently online and they might shop differently to now why they might be going uh, to their local convenience store or they might then order and use Ketir or Delivery Hero or Uber Eats now to get an ice cream delivered really, really quickly because they're having a movie night. So I think, again, it just goes back to understanding how shoppers um, are consuming products, the key missions that they have. I need something right now commerce and you know which is uber eats or i might go to a convenience store or if i'm thinking about something for mother's day i might be more choiceful go and look around the shops research online so knowing those moments and key events is also really important and understanding how behavior might flick between the different shopping channels depending on what consumers are looking for
0: Something you mentioned earlier was the importance of content. What do you believe is leading the conversation in terms of deploying content right now?
1: Content um, is really, really broad, right? You know, when I think about content on a product detail page versus content that's on YouTube, they're very different environments and you need content to be served in a completely different way. You know, I often think about you know the retailer content being quite factory based you know there's a certain box size that you need to adhere to there's a certain creativity depending what retailer you might be working with but equally there's some really amazing ways that you can capture the imagination we have something called mobile ready hero images we think about particularly using a mobile um you know and if you just have it up like here can you see all the important information that you need to see to make a choice on whether to buy it or not? Is it variant? Is it size? And you need to make that absolute image transpire. And that is really difficult because that's not a lot of space, right? On that phone. So I think you kind of need to know what content is for what channel. And you need to look at those channels and you need to think about the role in them. And you need to be really clear around master asset creation and how you can use that to be simplified across all those different content channels. And of course, I think the big discussion points for me in content at the moment would be thinking about things like automation. You know, um, how do you just make it easier? You agree the templates, and then you can create en masse for things like product detail pages. As you add in personalization, you need to be able to serve up so many more images to consumers, and you just cannot do that manually all the time so you need the right system and processes in place to be able to do automation and it and it is quite a fixed wedded process right that you need to be able to do these things so I think automation is one I think things like accessibility because again you know rooted in purpose and trying to be accessible to all consumers is that we certainly see an opportunity to make content more accessible. And and um, I don't think anyone's really leading the conversation there too, too much at the minute. Um, so, you know, colour variants, you know, I think it's one in 10 men um, are colorblind. How do you serve for that? How do you manage that? So I think, you know, there's a big theme around ED&I and how do you serve that, particularly when you're thinking about accessibility issues. So, yeah, really important.
0: Selfridges is clearly part of your backstory. What was one of the biggest learnings that you took away from working with the department store retailer?
1: Oh, wow. Um, so many. Um, it's such an incredible uh, department store. I would probably just say connected experiences. You know, I, I remember fondly a campaign I worked on around, it was called the Beauty Project and Google was a partner um, that we collaborated with and we created um, an in-store photo booth we had some Google Hangouts. I don't even think Google Hangouts exist anymore. Well, not in the consumer sense. Maybe more in the business sense. And we had that photo booth connected to our Windows in the front of Oxford Street. So you could you could be in store. We uploaded them online. You know, it was this real 360 moment, and it was a long time ago that we did that. That must have been nearly, gosh, eight. Nine years ago. And, you know, how do you create the magic of an in store environment online? You know, you can't, I mean, a department store like Selfridges, you can't create the magic of the beauty hall, but you can have a good, good try, right? And so I think via technology, via social platforms, via digital, via, you know, having really amazing brands to collaborate and partner with, be it tech, be it in, you know, in store and online. I think um it was just a real moment we were able to connect experiences and I feel probably take a step forward from really trying to bring the online and offline and then the only other thing that I would just say is don't forget the people component in a, you know any form of digital transformation you know your store associates giving them assisted selling working on their commissions you know understanding how bringing in an online order and a return impacts their commission for the day. You need to really think about the hearts and minds of all people in head office and um, in on the front line, for want of a better word. So don't forget about the people um, component in any underlying transformation that you're trying to do as a business, because without your people and understanding how they're managing your business and the impacts, the pain points, we talked about a little bit earlier. I think that would be probably the other learning that I took.
0: We're coming to the end of our discussion, but I've got a couple more questions for you. The first one, very personal. If you could pass on one piece of advice to your younger self, um, having accomplished all that you've done and learnt all you've learned now, what would that be?
1: Career's a marathon, not a sprint. I think uh, my younger self wanted to get too fast, too soon, um, and now I can look back and be reflective on that. You know what? It's I think an important journey that you that you go on, uh, and when I have the, I'm really fortunate, and I get to talk to a lot of our young leaders joining Unilever. We've got um, a future leaders program, um, and I see how eager and hungry um, uh, they are. But I'm always said is that it will come. Good things happen to good people, um, but maybe be a little bit more patient along the way too
0: now you're one of several female leaders uh female tech leaders that have been named in the annual tech 100 index what more do you think needs to be done within retail and technologies you know at large to provide even greater opportunities for gender diversity within senior roles
1: it's quite interesting actually i think this whole debate because the very fact that you have to say female is probably the wrong thing right i think um You don't want to have to call it out, and the minute that you do, the minute it just becomes evident, there's probably not enough gender balance, right? And I think you know, there's there still is a lot of progress that needs to be made. You know, women that are in uh, leadership roles have an active responsibility to bring these topics up in active discussion. I think that's one. It just has to become part of the job. I think equally having the conversation with your male colleagues um, and this could be any form of ed and i by the way you know this is much around race and authenticity, um disability so i think it's we have to talk more broad we need to have open and honest conversations we don't always get it right as leaders and i think we need to acknowledge that be humble we also need to train ourselves frankly as well um, i think that's the other thing I work with some incredible male leaders that have been humble enough to ask me my opinion, what do I think, you know, where maybe could have conversations been differently. So I think having open, transparent conversations, um, being humble enough to learn, put it out there in, you know, on no training, you need it, create platforms that give um, people um, opportunity to talk, to voice. Again, really, really important um, because I think there's been clear moments that you've seen uh, these topics really um, come up with the Me Too movement or Black Lives Matter. The thing that I've always taken out from that is have a conversation with your people. As I said, you might not get it right, but I think the the leaders that do talk about it. Um, at least humble enough to know that they're on a journey to learn.
0: so perhaps ultimately i guess the greatest progress that can be made in all of these areas is when we can drop the labels and just regard people as people and people who are achieving great things within their work
1: absolutely couldn't agree with you more there carl
0: thanks so much Claire. it's been terrific and we've come to the end of our time i could have chatted to you for much longer but uh, thank you so much for a, a really fascinating conversation so uh, lovely thank you
1: No, thank you so much, Carl. Really great to speak to you. Thanks for having me.
0: You're listening to the Retail Exchange podcast. Retail Week Live Programme Director, Hannah Tovey, joins me now as we look forward to the two-day event, which takes place in London later this month. So Hannah, could you tell me, first of all, let's get some of the fundamentals out. What is Retail Week Live 2022? Where is it taking place? And when is it happening?
2: So firstly, Carl, thank you so much for having me. We are delighted to be partnering with the Retail Exchange podcast. So thanks for having us. Uh, Retail Week Live is taking place in two weeks' time, uh, 24th and 25th of May in London. And it's a celebration of all things retail. It's a chance for the retail ecosystem to come together and to meet and to learn from each other we've got 120 speakers confirmed some brilliant global leaders um, on our program there is 20 startups competing in a two-day pitch-off a whole host of exciting tech companies showcasing their products and also some really cool uh, experiential things to keep everybody entertained
0: Wow, that sounds like an amazing lot going on. What what are some of the overarching themes and the focus for this year's event?
2: So, for twenty twenty two, we broke down the two days into two distinct themes. So, day one will focus on digital transformation and innovation, and day two will look at people and planet. Um, so, we've really honed in on the focus f- for this year.
0: So you mentioned you've got some incredible speakers. Um, Give us some highlights, some names. What are they going to be talking about and where are they coming from?
2: So day one, uh, which looks at uh, digital transformation and innovation, we've got um, Jo Graham. She is opening the Tuesday with, uh, so she's chief information officer at so she's doing a keynote um, in the morning. We're super excited to have her. We've got Spotify speaking. We've got Paul Green's Boots Alliance speaking. We've got the global lead um, for artificial intelligence for Snap. So she is flying over for the States and she's doing the closing keynote on the Tuesday. Her name is Carolina Navas. She is going to be absolutely fantastic. Another person I'm excited about on day one on the Tuesday is Katia Walsh. So she is Senior VP at Levi's and she's going to be talking about how to grow our own digital transformation talent and how we can really invest in our own workforce um, in terms of um, technical capabilities. And then on day two, what we're really excited about as well is uh, the John Lewis Circular Fund. Um, So the John Lewis Partnership have launched a £1 million innovation fund to support companies that are accelerating a more circular economy. And they are bringing winners of that fund onto the stage to talk about their technologies and how they are going to be really having a measurable impact in um, the retail world. So I'm super excited about that. And lastly, the CEO panel on day two, which is looking at the future of grocery. We've got Luke Jensen, who's CEO of Cardo Solutions, Joe Whitfield, who's uh, Chief Exec of Cold Food, and Richard Walker, who is Managing Director of Iceland. So yeah, really excited to have them on the speaking programme.
0: And, and that sounds like a really uh, amazing mix of different voices from different sectors, both physical yeah. retail and e-commerce. We, we've also, um, ourselves, and I'm going to make a blatant plug here for the podcast, spoken with both Luke Jensen from Ocado and Joe from Boohoo, and, who both have dedicated episodes on the retail exchange. So if you haven't heard those already, please listen out. But I'm sure they've got some amazing new things. Certainly the energy and enthusiasm from both of those guests, I think, will make um, some fantastic uh, conference content for, for the audience. You mentioned earlier on that the discovery pitch sessions are coming back, and this is almost the the elevator moment or the dragon's den moment for uh, new startups. Um, What are you particularly excited about for that session?
2: So it's a really cool thing to have at Retail Week Live, and it's a fantastic opportunity for these. uh, We've got 20 startups who will pitch their innovations and their game-changing solutions to a a panel of judges um, who are all really looking for the next big tech trend that could revolutionise retail. Um, So they pitch across day one. And then on day two, we have a kind of final uh, pitch off on um, the main stage. And we've got some fantastic judges uh, across fashion and DIY and home. So yeah, we are really thrilled to, um, to have that to be part of the
0: programme. And what's so great about it is clearly getting in front of the incredible attendees that are attracted to the conference. You know, for the companies that are taking part in these pitches, ordinarily, either they would never gain access to speak in front of those people, or it could take them months to and months of, of, you know, knocking on a closed door to to try and find their way in. So we'll be a, a key partner for you at Retail Week Live 2022, and we'll be recording on site throughout the whole event. So how can people get there? How can they register? And of course, if you've got any discount codes or things like that, um, now is the time to tell people how to get involved.
2: Great. If you guys uh, search for Retail Week Live on your browser, there's a discount code for retailers which is all capital letters it's retail EX25 that's retail then the letter E the letter X and then the numbers two five. and that'll give you a nice juicy discount code and it's super easy to register it's um the website will show you the program and 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 all our speakers as well
0: Amazing. And and if there's one kind of almost final comment that you could say to people that might be aware and considering it, but haven't yet committed, what would be your, you know, your your, your big kind of um, pitch to them and say, look, this is why you should come?
2: I think, look, we've all had an incredibly hard two years and really missed that human connection. And I think what's really lovely about Retail Week Live is it is, you know, obviously it's it's a place to do business and to meet potential partners but it's really a place to spark new connections and to to learn from global leaders and to you know to share um challenges and pain points and to collaborate together to form um to form new solutions and uh partnerships and i think after the last 2 years it's just really nice to be in a room with people who are really lovely and supportive and and are all there to learn together it's a lovely environment to be in
0: certainly as a as a former attendee myself i can sum it up i guess in one word and say unmissable uh, if there's any event you should be attending this is the one thank you hannah and retail week live 2022 runs from the 24th to the 25th of may in london if you're thinking of attending, be sure to check out our website and follow us on social media to receive your discount code on ticket registration. That's all we have time for on this episode of the Retail Exchange podcast. A warm thanks to my guests, Claire Henner from Unilever and Hannah Tovey from Retail Week Live. We look forward to seeing you in person at Retail Week Live. But for now, from me, Karl McKeever, goodbye and thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange podcast. Subscribe online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter. Hashtag Thanks for listening.